Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 182 of the podcast. And today, I'm very excited to announce the first ever three-peat podcast guest in Neela Steele. Now, if you haven't heard Neela's previous couple of podcasts, they're fantastic as well. And you'll probably want to go back and listen to those after you hear this today. Now, today's chat was not supposed to be a podcast. It was a webinar that Neela and myself did a couple of weeks ago. And I just think it is so relevant, so important that people that weren't on the webinar need to hear it. And that's why we've transformed it into a podcast now. And Neela was so gracious and and she was open to sharing it on a bigger platform. And I just think that the more people that can listen to this and share it, it'll just make such a difference in your mindset um, and the way that you're, you know, you're getting through life at the moment in these uncertain times. So I'm not going to talk anymore. Sit back. This is a very relaxing, lovely podcast with the most amazing lady, Neil Steele. Third time on the podcast. So excited. Here we go. Episode number 182. to another brand new webinar. I'm very excited. I've got the one, the only Neil Steele, and I call her Miss Mindfulness. Now, uh, if you are after a calm individual uh, and leading the way in everything you do, Neil, you practice, you preach, you live this life. And I think more so than ever, as your title states today, uncertainty. Um, I think with uncertainty, it brings out either the best or worst in people. And particularly with our students and teachers, not getting that human connection, um, I think that any coping mechanisms or way to deal with it at the moment are much needed. And that is why I'm so grateful that you have given up your time today to come and present this. So um, I'm going to turn my head off on the camera here. So I'm going to pass it over to you, Neela, and I'm so excited to hear from you today. Ready. I'm also going to uh, just turn off the camera as well. So pause for a moment. There we go. And now we're looking uh, just at the screen. Um, So to begin, uh, I really appreciate those attending. And uh, I want to give you a shout out, Dale, for making me feel so welcome, um, asking to share, and this bigger than self goal that we were just talking about uh, that you are creating and you are helping others in this uncertain time. Thank so, you, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. All the things that you're you're doing are um, helping others, and I think these are great ways to move out of, you know, just our our me 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 head, and that's what often causes a lot of our troubles is from the neck up, remaining in the head and being worried and anxious and fearful. I mean, it's normal and natural to have those feelings. So I really appreciate you offering me this time to share. And just a little background, I'm an educator, I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a mindfulness teacher, I'm a mom, um, sister, daughter, friend, and uh, a lover, hand over heart of all things mindful. So to begin, I'm going to ask, I'm going to start by a little bit of a visualization. And 
for the listeners, I'd like you to think of a specific situation in the past when you were able to think clearly under pressure. So I'll just give you a moment to recall this specific situation. Nothing too traumatic at this point, just something that you knew that under pressure you were able to think clearly. And trying to draw in as many of the senses as you can, recall the moment as if you are reliving it now. So you might think where you were, who you were engaging with, who or what. And in the pause, take a few breaths. And start to recall the specific things that you did. Um, Were you noticing your breath a little bit more? Were you a little more aware of the environment? Were you attuned to the other person's feelings or their perspective? And then pausing there to take that information in. What were the specific things that happened as a result of you thinking clearly under pressure? And again, try to draw in as many senses. Were there things that you heard? Were you aware of the tone of your voice when you were communicating? What was the outcome in that moment when you were able to think clearly under pressure? And so what we did there was an acronym called TCUP, Thinking Clearly Under Pressure. Um, Dale, I'm going to ask you to jump in. And if you don't mind sharing some of the strategies or specific things you did when you recalled that moment when you were thinking clearly. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, um, a lot of mine, Neela, refers back to sport um, and sort of growing up, I played quite competitive sport like a, probably a lot of most PE teachers and teachers have. Um, and for me, it was just thinking about backing yourself in and uh, just staying calm and not trying to overthink things and, and sticking to your processes. And I think that's the one thing that I relate a lot of life situations back to what I was thinking about. There was an actual cricket match when I was 16 and what I was able to do. And um, if you think about the situation we're in now with the coronavirus and everything like that, that a lot of the things are the same, you know, that stick to your processes, believe in yourself, do the work into yourself um, and try and stay calm. And um, I think that that's a great analogy for, you know, reminiscing what worked well for me back in the day when I was 16. And I think that is what I was trying to get back in there. And, and when I think about it, I'm trying to do the same thing with this uncertainty that we're going through at the moment. Absolutely. And I like, so when you said you were trying to cultivate calm, was there anything specific that you were doing? Yeah, so when, particularly when I was when I was batting, so cricket, you're basically it's all on you, and and 
you can think so many things ahead. And one of the things is not to think of the next ball or the future or anything like that, yeah. but just each ball comes. And I think at the moment, if I can relate that back to what we're going through now, I just think about each day at a time. Whereas previously I was planning weeks, months, years ahead with different things. And I think it's the same when it comes to my reasoning with sport. What worked well for me was focusing on the one thing at a time and then getting on to the next thing. Um, and that's how I feel I'm getting through these tough times at the moment. Absolutely. And to, to amplify what you're talking about is when we are drawn back or we ruminate about a past error, let's say in your game of cricket, um, or when we fast forward towards the future, that actually is drawing our energy away from the present moment. And so if we really think that we want to conserve this energy and cultivate calm, we have to remain very present in the current moment. And what we're talking about is a lot of mindfulness. And I know mindfulness is thrown around like a buzzword here and there. And the definition I always like to go back to is from John Kabat-Zinn. And that is uh, staying in the moment with a particular focus without judgment and bringing curiosity to the moment. So even if you were to take the same route to school every day, what is it that you might notice that might be new and novel? Or what are different sensations that you might notice on your walk to school? Because every, when you start to really think about it, every single walk is different. And I heard something on another podcast by Jack Cornfield, and he said, in the swoosh of a horse's tail, anything can change. And that's how I feel our current, our current status is because every day there's a new restriction. I live on <laughs> so true. You know, like I didn't think that they could restrict yesterday. So for example, to draw on my own personal experience, I live on a compound. It's about 38 square kilometers. We have 7,000 people here from over a hundred different nations in the middle of Saudi Arabia. And, you know, the first it was closing the school, then it was the cinema, then it was the recreation centers, then they they actually gated some of the parks. And yesterday we had a full on lockdown because there were there are now Corona cases within our little compound and we couldn't go outside. And then they lifted that at the end of the day and I went to go walk the dog something I do every day. Sometimes I don't want to do it. And yet I was let out and I was by myself. And every time I, I felt like lifting up my arms and, and jumping up and down and screaming freedom, because the, the minute, you know, we, we do take a lot of things for granted, but if we can bring a, a bit of curiosity into the moment to appreciate it. And then that draws in all the, the gratitude and reframing. How can we reframe these situations where we don't know what's going to happen? And we don't like that feeling. We don't like, we think we're in control. So when you said that you were trying to cultivate calm, I mean, there's there's calm and relaxed, and that might be something that you visualize when you're on your yoga mat or you're sitting um, out on your front porch, I had a cup of tea. But then there's also calm during 
uh, high periods of uh, distress. So this is a great opportunity to uh, practice and discipline the mind. Uh, Michael Gervais, another great podcast that I love listening to, I love his analogy. He said, our minds are like drunk monkeys. We 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 you know we're irrational we jump to things we like new and novel things and so how might we cultivate our own uh, little system within ourselves that is always available where we can tap into that and for me that's the breath so, Dale, I also know I'm going to ask you to jump in again, too, with um, a lot of the work that you're doing um, has threads of mindfulness in it. And and how or what is your definition of mindfulness? Yeah, my I, I'm a huge believer in mindfulness. And for me, I get mindfulness when you are present. You are, you are not thinking about the past. You're not planning the future but you are right in that present moment. And that is being present, doing whatever you're doing. If it's on this podcast, you're not using your phone. You're not doing multitasking. So my thing is <laughs> mindfulness is where you are doing one thing and you're doing it well and you're enjoying it and you're in the present moment. And for me, that comes a lot where I'm in flow through play or games. And I call it play-based mindfulness because when I am in such flow and I can only get there every now and then that I do not think about anything else. I'm so present that I don't understand anything else going on in the world. And that, for me, is mindfulness. Absolutely. And I think uh, for many parents out there, play is a great way to mirror to your child that still during periods of high stress, we're still able to relax and be uh, attuned to how our kids feel because we we do have mirror images. If I'm um a child and i'm very much noticing my mother being stressed or raising her tone of voice or being a little more impatient the children are very sensitive and very in tune to that so if we can be attuned to their feelings as well play is a great way to move from the thinking mind into the feeling mind uh not into the feeling mind excuse me into the the feeling of the body which is a way to release from living just from our necks up. I'm going to shift the um, slide here. We went through, and just to review, we went through our teacup. And talking about the breath, I want to move into a few simple and practical breathing exercises. So when you work with mindfulness with children, it's very age dependent. And the more playful you can get, uh, the better. Kids are also very creative in creating their own breaths. Um, every morning at the school that I teach, I have the privilege of organizing the morning announcements. And so we always start the day with one minute of mindfulness. And I really like just one minute because it is so achievable, especially if it is something that is very brand new to you. But for the kids, one of the breaths that they love is called the pizza breath. And what you would do is you take your, if you 
volunteer now to just practice it. You would take your hand and open the palm, notice the fingers stretching out and flat, and you would imagine that you had a pretty hot piece of pizza on your hand, and you would draw on the senses by allowing yourself to take a deep inhale through the nose so you could smell all the delicious flavors that were just about ready for you to eat, but the pizza's too hot. And so you blow gently out of your mouth to cool the pizza, therefore breathing out on the palm with the imaginary slice. And then you take another breath in, noticing the scents, the aroma, anything at all to remind you of your favorite piece of pizza with all the favorite toppings. Drawing the breath in, and then a whole lot of breath out. And then you just notice, has that shifted anything at all physically in your body? And the way that uh, you can make that fun for kids is, I've had, kid, I've had students at our school come up and say, Miss Neela, Miss Neela, I have a new breath for you. I have a breath called a bubblegum breath. And so they pretend that they're uh, chewing a big wad of gum and they blow the biggest bubble and it explodes on their face. So ask, ask the kids what breath they might use. Neil, I'm going to, sorry to cut you off there. I, I love that um, because the buy-in when you actually allow the students to be creative goes through the roof and they're actually practicing ways to breathe and, and talk about and how it works and everything like that. And, and one thing I love about that is I think too often we don't put the time into mindfulness because we think we don't have a time to do a meditation. We don't do, you know, all these different things, but one minute, that is achievable. Um, and that is a really good sort of part of your routine. And I'm sure the kids have come to love that. Have, have you always found that one minute was, you know, a really uh, good good time or was that achievable? How did you come to one minute? I think, well, if we still run morning announcements and we do have a limited time for the morning announcements. It's also a time when all classes are together and teachers are sitting down with the students. That's when we begin our morning meetings. And collectively, it's a beautiful way to start the morning. Uh, when you walk into the school, Many classes are engaging in that breath. And uh, I mean, it's not, not all classes are actively listening and modeling that, but I feel it's an attempt to drip into the bucket to create an environment where that is the norm, where we just start our day out with breathing. And sadly, um, sometimes I ask some kids, oh, you know, what class are you in? Um, do you guys do the morning mindfulness? And sometimes I've gotten the response, no, we're too busy. We're already on reflex math. Mm. And I kind That's of horrible. like, well, it's horrible, but it's, it's, it gives you perspective as to what the teachers feel. But if teachers, we are, you know, so much of our teaching is in modeling and the teachers are feeling overwhelmed with things that need to get done. And it's so counterintuitive to slow down so that you might be 
that much more engaged in what you were doing. Learning awareness. Awareness is the first step. The first time that you are aware of something, your relationship to it changes. So I try to take on a very positive uh, view of that because if if we're announcing for whatever, if we're announcing for 20 classes and three classes are doing mindfulness and then one teacher sees another class, then hopefully it's uh, slightly contagious, right? Yeah, and I, and I think it, it does come down to, I think, the, the workload and the pressure and the stress. But often, if we actually take time to invest in ourselves and set the session up, the class up, this could be done at home, at work, anywhere, you're actually going to be more productive anyway, and you'll get that work done quicker. And it's just yeah. one of those things that we don't have enough time, but well, you will have enough time. It'll be beneficial for everybody if you actually set it up the right way and start on a positive instead of going, we don't have enough time, being stressed, being rushed and getting straight yeah. into it. Oh, I couldn't agree more, Neela. I know. And and one of the things I wish we said more of at schools was take your time. It's okay. Take your time. You know, how many times if you really start to zoom in on the amount of times we say, we don't have time, hurry up, finish <laughs> this. You only have one period. You know, it, it I, I, I really wish, and, and there's many silver linings to this uh, current status that we're in. Um, one of the simple things I've been noticing is when I take walks, strangers say hello. Um, that's very true. That's I, I walked my dog before and more people are smiling when this epidemic is going on and I've seen more people out walking during the day. Um, it's, that's a real, I'd, I'd never thought of that, Neil. That's very strange, isn't it? It's such a simple thing. And, um, I mean, I don't want to take away the immense, uh, the, the immense problems that are, that are going on. And again, that connects to the, the my gratitude practice and I know you are someone who actively practices gratitude because uh, I consider myself uh, I'm very lucky at this time I'm with my family I'm quarantined with my family um, so far none of my extended uh, relatives and my mom is still safe and I mean, there are many, many healthcare workers, grocery store owners, truck drivers, essential uh, workers who are still out there, doctors and nurses and orderlies in the hospital. So taking a moment to take inventory of all the blessings uh, or the appreciations that you have, the little things, uh, it's, it's immense. You could go on and on because when you start to think of other people financially, Financially, there I have one friend I just uh, wrote to, and she's in um, human resources. And I messaged her, and she just said, "You know what? I don't have time. I'm working 14-hour days, and I'm laying off hundreds of people right now." Oh, horrible. So it, it, it's it's you know to reiterate what we're talking about is we are trying to remain calm, and using the breath and mindfulness is a way to anchor ourselves and try to remain present in this moment and the next and the next. And we're not always going to be mindful and aware. It's very normal and natural for us to um, 
move to anxiety, move to fear, but the, the more that you can sort of tether yourself back to the present moment, whether that is through movement, through play, through connections with loved ones, through goals that are greater than yourself, um, it, it helps to ground you. And this is actually um, the, the grounding. When we talk about grounding, it's about down-regulating all the incoming. The incoming is not going to stop. It's going to come there every day. You and I were talking about this. Um, every day is a new restriction. Every day, a new arrival. Um, but it's it's how we remain calm. And another podcast I was listening to, they gave uh, I think it was Thich Nhat Hanh, who was talking about if you're in a boat and if you can remain calm, that ease that you are feeling will hopefully re, uh, allow somebody else to feel at ease. Because if I look over at you, Dale, and we're sitting in a little rowboat and I see that you're calm, I might remind myself, okay, this one person is calm, I can be calm. And then the next person, and hopefully it has a domino effect. Rather yeah, that's because sorry, sorry, it's okay. It's so true. And I think to relate that back to all the panic buying that we're seeing all over the world, like with toilet paper and things like that, that is yeah. a chain reaction because people aren't calm. There is the uncertainty. So they see other people doing it. So yes. they go, they think, oh, I need to do it now because everyone else is doing and it causes this panic. Whereas exactly what you're saying is somebody is calm, then you're like, oh, I can be calm too. Or if somebody is smiling, like we said on our walks, then oh, I might smile too. It, it, they're all much of a muchness, aren't they? Yeah, and it, it's also reframing the mind. Or do you have a mind of scarcity or do you have a mind of pro-prosperity? Things often will fall into place even when we haven't prepared and planned for them. Um, and to relate to the panic, there's um, a book I love. It's called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday holiday. And um, one of the chapters, he has a great story about how one of the biggest skills they train astronauts in is the art of not panicking. Because when we panic, we override what the plan was. We ignore the rules. We no longer think clearly. We just react. It's that knee-jerk, knee-jerk reaction. And then we have to think of the consequences. So if we just work on one skill or if people walk away from this webinar with just the one skill is how might I cultivate calm in periods of high stress, duress, and crisis? Yeah, I, I think that is so true. And another great example of that, and, and even in any crisis, and I, I take my hat off to paramedics, but they never run. And I think that is exactly what you're saying, Neela, that if they ran into a situation when everyone else is chaotic, that would cause more oh, chaos, yeah. you know, whereas they walk. That is part of their training. Right, right. And the, the other thing I wanted to talk about, back to the breath, is when you lengthen your exhale, and if you could possibly take 10 uh, breaths where you're just breathing in a little but breathing out a whole lot, we actually are tapping into the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's our 
the part of our nervous system that does tell us we can rest and we can digest. We're not, we, we are actually taking control of the cortisol that is coursing through our body. So physiologically, it's not just a lot of, oh, you know, that's a little fluffy breath work. No, it, there's research out there that if you start looking at the breath and physiologically, you are helping yourself with this little mini tool to move from the sympathetic, which is our fight or flight or submit to whatever is happening, to this rest and digest. And the more that you do that, um, the more that you read about neuroplasticity, you can build these grooves in your brain so that that's your go-to instead of your knee-jerk reaction. And so it, it is training, training the mind to not default into an all-out emotional freakout, but how might I create a little bit of space, a little bit of a braking system so that I can check for a moment what my options might be. Yeah, I, I think that that's brilliant. That again, it's training ourselves, to, we, and we do it in all different ways. Like with the students we teach, Neela, we train them every day to read and write, but. I think breathing is just as important because then when things are uncertain or, you know, you are stressed or you're anxious that you can always bring it back. And, and as you said, like with the one minute pizza activity, it doesn't take long to switch that mindset with, or the shifting the gears, whatever you want to call it with your breathing. Right. Right. And, the, and the other way that I love moving towards the brain is um, there's a great exercise by Daniel J. Siegel, a doctor, and he has the brain. Uh, what he does is if you Google him and look at, um, it's, it's called the palm of the hand, the brain. He takes the, the palm of his hand and it's like, um, so if you make a fist with your hand, but you face the thumb towards the camera, for example, um, he actually talks about the brains with kids. And the great way to explain this is that the wrist is the brain stem. And then the knuckles are the prefrontal cortex. And the thumb inside the fist is the amygdala. So our sort of safety alarm systems. And it's a great way to show and present this to kids so that they know a little bit more about their brain. And what happens when we panic is you flip your fingers up and you're no longer online. You've lost the connection between the upstairs and the downstairs brain is how he phrases it. And I love this working with kids because it's a great way to say to your child, look, mommy's flipped her lid right now. I, I, I need you to sort of either help mommy to calm down because I can't find my keys and we're late and we need to hop in the car. So, so I just need a moment for, you know, mommy to think, and you can use almost this hand signal of your fingers moving up towards um, the sky or the ceiling. Whereas we need the fingers to come back down because that's when we're going to be working from the prefrontal cortex where we're connected to how we feel, what is the environment, and can I be calm 
in this moment. Now, I, I probably didn't do such a great, a, a great way of explaining that, but it's a wonderful way to add a little bit of the brain functioning in and the background to what happens in our minds when we flip our lids. And I, I think it's great to model it when you are in that situation because you're you're modeling to your child that as an adult, we still flip our lids when we're in the panic situation. And we it's normal and natural for our children to know that this is us expressing our overwhelming feelings. Yeah, I, Neil, I totally agree. And it's like uh, if things are going wrong, it, it is a sign to say, yeah, things aren't going well at the moment. It's the same as flipping your lid. It's how you deal with it and the process you go with it. So if you're suppressing that or hiding that, then you're not showing our young children coming up how to you know build resilience so if they have a situation they can talk about it and they have dealing strategies to overcome it in the future and and i think that is the greatest asset we have to be vulnerable but then also show them and educate them how you can overcome it and you know build a better outcome from that situation yeah and i i think we we're not often taught how to express our anger in healthy ways um, and when you start thinking about your own childhood, what were the ways that you could express anger? I mean, if I'm really, truly honest in my house, it was silence or immense rage. Um, and I talk about that from a child's perspective, like having a full on tantrum because there was no outlet. It was just go to your room. And how does that teach you to express your anger? Um, it's, that's a whole other area of how, as a parent, are you modeling to your child that it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to express your anger in certain ways that might hurt others, that might hurt yourself, that might cause great consequences with the power of your words. So it's, it's also this, when you use the palm and the hand, I think that gives you, it It buys some time. It's like a braking system in the car. I've just, I need to put the brakes on right now. And I need to look around, assess, and just create a little bit of time in this very tense situation so that I might choose to respond rather than react. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I was just thinking exactly the same growing up that, and this isn't, anything against my parents but I think oh, that yeah. was just how it was Neela that um that we didn't talk it would bottle up it'd be an explosion and then yeah. we'd just be silent and get on with it whereas that's not dealing with it that's slowly putting it away in in a in a little cannon until something explodes big time and um that's exactly what you've just mentioned yeah yeah and I like I like that you said you know it's nothing against your parents of course like uh same same for me uh, with my mom and dad. And uh, I'm also my parents divorced when I was quite young. So I think they were also just dealing with everything on their plate. And now that I'm an adult, uh, there are so many things that you can listen to from morning till night on the theory on the theory, but until you experience it, uh, you know, it's a whole other layer of learning. And um, yeah, so yeah. right, right. And uh, yeah, so 
there's some really good food for thought here. And uh, just to summarize a couple of things was we did the teacup acronym, and that is thinking clearly under pressure. And I liked your example, Dale, on the whole sports um, perspective. Um, and then we had the mindfulness and breathing. Um, there's many breaths. One of the breaths I like uh, to jump into that one again for adults is a pattern called uh, four, seven, eight. And um, that is where you breathe in for four. You hold and retain the breath for a count of seven. And then you breathe out for eight. And just, just by doing that right now, again, it was a little shift. Um, and nobody needs to know that you're doing that. Neil, sorry to cut you off. So why why does why is that more beneficial for adults? Um, what is it, it does it affect our brain differently, our, our shift in mindset? What why is like for example, blowing bubbles or the, the pizza good for kids? Is that because they can relate to it or they can imagine that you know, they're not actually just breathing. They're actually using their creativity to get a bubble or a piece of pizza. Whereas with adults, we can go a little bit longer. Do you want to explain that? Because I'm really curious about that. Yeah, I might I might not have the uh, correct answer, but I, for children and in working with children, I think the, the play aspect of it brings in a little bit of lightness and fun. And... Uh, asking kids what kind of breath they would like to do. Again, it's very age dependent. Um, I think for adults, we're a lot more um, in our heads and analytical and, you know, somebody might roll their eyes if I'm doing um, uh, a kid's breath or you're just not in the mood to do this hot chocolate breath or I've had people uh, just kind of dismiss it. But perhaps uh, with adults, just by having a number, um, it helps. But also the when you retain and hold your breath, so for the four, seven, eight count, when you hold and retain your breath, you might notice a little more pressure building up. And that's the, the gap between the inhale and the exhale. And that's a, another way to find sort of that inner still quiet place that resides within you. Um, in answering your question, uh, I think it's it's really trying to understand the buy-in with mindfulness. Um, I once had a little boy in grade four. We were doing mindful activity. And I always try to create choice. Like I never force the kids to close their eyes. I never force them to lie down in a position. I ask them to find a comfortable position, whether that's laying down on their bellies or on their backs or if they want to sit up. It's it's all very individual and personalized. And so I once had this boy and he said, um, after the mindfulness, we were doing a circle rotation and he said, I hate mindfulness. And um, at this point in my teaching, I could feel my body harden and I was like, oh, <laughs> but, you know, again, aware of that. I, and instead I said, uh, I said, well, help me understand why you hate it. 
And he said, because, because my mom says you've always got to be doing. On Monday, I have math. On Tuesday, I have violin. On Wednesday, I have Mandarin. And on, you know, it was, and I was like, oh boy. So his definition at home of creating success is always doing. And yet he was the little boy who was falling asleep during our mindfulness sessions. Um, and again, trying not to judge. Then I completely understood that this was counter to what he thought learning should be. Um, and so for him, how we adjusted that was he was uh, able to, he didn't have to lay down. He could sit down. Um, he could enjoy the quiet. Uh, one time he just sat in the corner and watched some ants on the tiled floor, which is still another act of mindfulness. So I, re I also, as a teacher, was not so rigid in making sure that mindfulness looked a certain way. It's not. Um, one of the ways that my husband Andy loves to practice is he just puts on his favorite current song and just listens to it. That's it. Nothing else. So moving more towards uh, demonstrating with kids, um, I don't know if I answered your question completely, Dale. No, you, you did, Neil. I think um, I, I was thinking the similar thing because as a kid, I think a lot of it, the learning takes place afterwards that um, we're just breathing and we're blowing out a hot pizza or we're blowing bubbles. And then after a lot of repetitions, they actually figure out what they're doing and the 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 reasoning behind it. Um, and I, I feel that's a lot of sort of when we're talking about mindfulness and well-being that um, I think they need to do and then they learn afterwards the consequences of why they're doing that for their body. Whereas for adults, we're aware of the benefits of it and we don't sort of need, even though some of us still need that play and creativity and things like that, that I think that really summarizes why the four, seven, eight works really well. So no, you did answer it. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. I, I love both. And I'm not saying that adults can't do the, the pizza and the bubbles, but um, yeah, I, I can, I think you answered that really well. Yeah. And, and that's where I also like teaching a little bit of the brain with the palm exercise to, to students as well. Cause they're, they're very intrigued by the way that our brains work. And simply having that hand gesture of, uh, you know, flipping your lid with your palm moving up uh, is just another little signal to say, this is not the moment. And I, another thing as a teacher, I think if you really show, again, your vulnerability when you say, many times when I've not been 100% health-wise, I've gone into class and I've said to the kids, you know what, today I'm not at my best. I need more of your support in listening and, um, you know, my throat is sore, so I might not be able to give too many instructions. And the, the compassion that comes out from the students is incredible. And there's always a little surprise student at the end of the day. You know, you might be feeling better and they'll remind you and they'll say, oh, Miss Neela, you know, how's that headache of yours? And it it's another way to model that uh, 
we're all human. We're not robots. We don't come in smiling, grinning from ear to ear every day. In fact, that would be really freaky, say my students. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think, again, that it is good to explain there's different emotions that you aren't always going to feel well, but it's the way you, you move on, the way you deal with it, the way you put the work in so that the next day you are feeling better. Um, and that is the power of being vulnerable and opening up to our students, our kids, anybody, like you just said, Neela, that it really comes back to the expectations you set and that you model yourself. Right. And then the other strategy I'd like to really move to is the reframing. How might we reframe the current situation? Um, so we've been on lockdown and we're in the house. I have two boys and my husband, Andy. And uh, yesterday was the day that we couldn't leave the house. Uh, but we ended up being so creative. Um, Andy put up... Um, you know, a makeshift pull-up bar in our backyard. We ran around the house. Uh, we threw yoga mats out in the backyard and did some crunches and, you know, blasted some music. We've never, ever done that. And, uh, you know, we've lived in this house now for four years. So it was kind of this uh, silver lining to to the restrictions we could have just sat here and said well you know what have we got to do or there's nothing we've been doing an immense amount of i keep saying mari kondoing if you know mari kondo is the queen of decluttering from japan and uh just by shaking up and decluttering your environment it's had an impact on my whole family as well um so how you reframe things. One thing as as a mom, I used to say to my teenage boys, I hate it when you, so I hate it when you leave your clothes right next to the hamper. I hate it when you leave your dirty dishes on the table. Um, and I actively and intentionally switch that to reframe it to, I really appreciate. And for one week, I used the phrase, I really appreciate instead of I hate it when. So I no longer say I hate it when. And I say, oh, I really appreciate you bringing the dishes down. Thank you very much. And I really appreciate when you walk the dog and I don't have to ask you. So those, just that simple phrase and words are so powerful. So how might you today take a phrase that you overly use that might not be in the best light and how might you flip that and even with your self-talk that's a whole other that's a whole other ball game yeah i Neil, i think that's brilliant because straight away you it's a negative and and they feel like you're attacking them whereas when yeah. you praise them and they haven't done anything they feel bad um and i think if you can re <laughs> like, that's exactly what it is it, it, you're actually making them feel bad for something they haven't done so then they want to do it um i absolutely love that it's so simple yeah 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 so that's um yeah that's um what i have to share and anything at all dale uh neela i've just been taking notes uh, i think as obviously fantastic for educators but with everybody going on at the moment you can what you're really saying neela is that Take time to slow down. And I think by actually being locked in your house, it, it is allowing us to realize that 
we don't need to be so busy. We can take time. We can do different things like going outside, spending time, getting creative. I think it's brilliant. I, I love the one-minute mindfulness at the start of the day. Um, the pizza one I've never heard. I've loved the bubble gum, um, but also the adult breath. I think uh, just simple ways to do that, that everybody listening would be able to take something away from it, Neil. And I know I've never turned one of these webinars into a podcast, but this is going to be a podcast. I hope you don't mind because – I think everybody just needs what you, what you've said is it's very simple, but sometimes the best ideas and activities and just guidance is the simple stuff that we overlook. And like uh, Dee's saying on there, that I've got a page of notes as well. So Neela, for me personally, that that was something I really needed to hear at the moment. And I know um, a lot of other people get so much out of it as well. Well, it, thank you so much for offering the platform for me to share. And it really is a privilege and a pleasure to be here. So I thank you for the work that you're doing, Dale.